Wow, that's going to be hard to follow. <coughs> so in the next hour and a <coughs> goodness, Donna, what'd you do? <coughs> in the next hour and a half or so, I'm going to try to try to get us uh, nailed down real quick. I want to uh, use an analogy that I saw R.C. Sproul do a long time ago. Lizzie, if you could come. Uh, actually, let me start with um, Jenna. Come here for a sec. Okay, Jenna's going to represent for us Jesus Christ. Now, Jenna, I know that's a hard task, but if you will, you're going to represent Jesus Christ on this continuum. So Jenna's right here. She's Jesus Christ. Lizzie, come here for a sec. Lizzie is Hitler. (laughs) And so here's, it doesn't necessarily have to be Hitler. But think of the most ungodly, wicked, evil person that's ever lived. Lizzie represents that. And I I chose her not because she's evil, wicked, or nasty necessarily. I chose her because she comes home with me at the end of the day. I can say, honey, I I wasn't talking about you. So, And no other parent can get mad at me other than my own wife. So you're Hitler. Jenna is Jesus. Come here. Now. Let's think of a very, very super godly person, Peter, Paul, John. Jesus said that the apostle John, uh, that the, uh, that John the Baptist was of men, born of man, the greatest man who ever lived. So somebody like that, somebody who's truly, truly godly. On this line that we have here, with Jenna representing Jesus and Lizzie representing Hitler, evil. Pharaoh, I I don't know, the most evil person. Where do you think that the most godly person who ever lived would fit on this continuum? Where do you think? Kids, over here? Further? Well, I hate to tell you. The Bible says that our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And the difference between the most wicked, evil person who's ever lived compared to Jesus and the most righteous, God-honoring person who's ever lived is really negligible. Now, the good news for those of you who are in Christ is this. On that day, on the day when we get transformed into the image of Christ, in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. But in this world, on this side, we struggle, we fight every day to be a little bit more like Jesus. And then, I don't know about you guys, but some mornings I get up and I fail. And then some days I'm really fighting hard and I'm in the word and I'm on my knees. And, but it's just negligible. See, we have in our mind that we're way over there. And the Bible won't let us believe that. They've all gone out of their way. They've together become unprofitable. There's none that seek after good. God, no, not one. The book of Isaiah says, our righteousness, our very best, is like filthy rags. And so, y'all can sit down now. Thank you. Give them a big hand. They did a great job. And I will tell you that my daughter Lizzie is not Hitler. (laughs) Baby, I love you. Okay, 
So we're going to hear a story today about a very bad man named Nahash. Nahash came to a particular city called Jabesh Gilead and told the people of that city, surrender. And they said, hey, let's make a treaty together. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a treaty with you, but to make a treaty with you, I'm going to have to gouge out the right eye of every man in the city. Now, the reason why he did that is at that time, the way people fought is in their left hand, they would hold a shield, and in their right hand, they had a sword. And you would hold the shield up to protect your head, and if you didn't have a right eye, you couldn't fight. And so by gouging the right eye out of all the men in the city, he knew they could never rise up and try to overthrow him. And so he said, you let us gouge your right eye out, and then I will let you, I will make a treaty with you. Well, they said, okay, we got to think about this. They said to, to Ahash, give us seven days, and in seven days, if we can't find somebody who will save us, said, give us seven days that we can send messengers throughout all the territory and we'll see if there's somebody who can save us. Now, when the messengers came to Saul and the city Saul was in called Gilbeah, they reported the matters into the ears of all the people and all the people wept aloud. Now, the reason why the people in this particular city were so upset is this. Maybe 20, 30 years before, there had been some really wicked, evil men in Israel. And they had done some really, really bad things. So bad that it caused a civil war in Israel that God said, y'all rise up and kill all the people of that area. And so the children of Israel against one of their own tribes rose up and killed all the men and all everybody. And so all that was left was the young men. And then they said, oh no, we don't want to lose a tribe. What are we going to do? And so they looked around, and of the guys that had obeyed God and sent warriors, there was one town that hadn't. And so they went to that town and took people and put them there. And so guess what? It's the same two cities we're dealing with today. And so the reason why when the word came to Saul's city and everybody wailed and cried is that isn't because they were just upset. They were upset because the people who were about to lose their right eye was Papal. The people who were about to get attacked by the Ammonites were Mumal. It was their family that they, where they had come from just 20 years before that was about to be attacked. Well, Saul, remember we learned last week, Saul had just been anointed the king. Now, where does a king live, guys? In a castle. Does the king sit on a big old fancy throne? Do you think that's where we're going to find Saul? <laughs> you don't know. All right, and so all the people wept aloud, and Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. He was out working in the field. He was planting corn. And Saul said, what's wrong with the people? Why are they crying? And they told him about the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. I was in Jeff's Sunday school class, and we were talking about leadership. Now, isn't it interesting that the way that it says this is that the Spirit of God came on him, and then he was angry. Sometimes we act like if you're mad about anything, that can't be a godly thing. Remember Jesus when he came into the temple and saw that people had turned the temple of God into a house of thieves. It made him angry. 
You know what? There are some things, beloved, that as we look around our world should make us angry. When I see how many babies lose their life to abortion, that should make us angry. We should be, have righteous judgment. When we see and we look at our own schools and see how many of our kids are losing their lives to drugs, that should make us angry. As we look around and we see our country going the way of worthless men, that should make us angry. Now, the difference between righteous anger and this godly anger is, is the godly anger is about God. Typically, the righteous anger is about me. So Saul was angry. And so he sent word out, let's go defend these guys. And they did. They mustered in a town just across the street a whole bunch of soldiers. And do you think that God helped them win? Yes. They overcame and they won. So much so that the Bible says that no two Ammonites could be found together. The children of Israel overcame. And then something happened with Saul's finest hour. You see, when Saul had been made king, there were some guys that sat around and said, he shouldn't be the king. That guy should not be the king. And so now that Saul had won a great victory, other worthless men said, let's go find those guys who's running their mouth and kill them. Now one of the things that that tells me, guys, is one of the times when we need to pay closest attention to our heart is in victory. When things are going good is when we need to be paying very close attention that we're doing the things that we should. So what we read that happened is, Not a man, said Saul, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord. That's the third time Saul has been anointed. He was anointed once in secret by Samuel, once before the people, and now this time before the Lord. And there's Saul, and all the people of Israel rejoiced greatly. Saul was victorious because he was fighting for the Lord. Now we all know, and all you guys remember from stories, that Saul's life goes off the rail. You see, he forgets that the difference between wickedness and evil is how much closer we get to following God. And he got focused on himself. Now, you realize that Jesus came and died for you, right? Right? But did you know that in the book of Philippians and in the book of Colossians, it makes really clear... He didn't stop being God while he was here. He was still 100% God and 100% man the whole time he was on earth. So here was God, the very God that said, let there be light. The very God that made something out of nothing. The God that said to the sea, no further shall you go. The God that made the mountains. The God that holds the sea in the palm of his hand. That God was walking around in Israel and eating fish. And going to a wedding with his friends. 
and going around teaching people. And he knew that he was going to have to die. And not only was he going to have to die, but all the sins of people who would ever get saved were going to be poured out on him. Do you ever think that he'd want to not do that? You ever think that he would get scared and be like, I don't want to do that? He did, that's right, remember in the garden. He prayed and said, God, let this cup pass from me. Oh, Lord, your will, but not mine. But please, God, not this cup. Don't make me go through this, God. Remember that story? What do you think? Because he was God. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. At any time, he could have called angels to come and defend him. At any time, you know what? He was God. He could have said, no more. And the earth would have just ceased being. He didn't have to go through that. Why would he continue doing it? Well, he wanted to die on the cross for our sins. I think ultimately, here's what the thing. If he didn't die on the cross, you're right, Eli, none of us could get saved. The thing that drove Jesus, the thing that allowed him to be obedient to the Father all the way even to obedience to the cross was love. For God so loved all of you that Jesus came and he was obedient to the Father, even the point of death, even death on the cross. And you know what? If we don't accept that gift, it doesn't do us any good. I think I told you guys a story before. If I had a flashlight I got for Christmas, if somebody gave me a flashlight, and I got up in the middle of the night and never turned it on, never used it, would it help me not run into the wall? No, it wouldn't. No matter how nice a flashlight it was, no matter how cool it was, it wouldn't help me at all. And so the Bible says that for us to take advantage of what God did for us, take advantage of what Jesus said on the cross, we have to accept it. Now the way that that happens is really easy. And yet at the same time, it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9 it says this. If you confess or agree with God with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now what that means is he's the boss. That means that you tell God, God, this life that I have is yours. Doesn't matter what, guys, you've done. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I've messed this life up pretty good. I remember one time I was really sick and I was in, in the hospital um, and I was in the CCU in Birmingham and they had a sign over the desk that you checked out of and it said, are you ready to go home in big letters? And then under it were like, if you got all your paperwork, if you blah, 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 blah. But those words, are you ready to go home, seared into my brain because all I could think of is no no, I'm not. I've thrown my life away. I've spent all my time and energy chasing after what I wanted instead of living it for you. And I kept telling God, God, if you'll get me out of this place, I will give you the rest of my life as hard as I can, whether people like it or not. I'm going to go hard after you, God. 
And that's what it means to make him the Lord. To say that he gets to be the boss of my life. I'm not the boss of my life anymore. Contrary to what my kids believe, Anne is not the boss of my life anymore. (laughs) Jesus is the boss of my life. And you're giving him everything. So, the verse says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We make it so complicated. I remember there was a guy that lived on my street when we lived in North Carolina. He had served in Afghanistan and uh, had a lot of problems. He, uh, he, he drank a lot. He did a lot of crazy stuff. And we were sitting down one day and I, I said, dude, just let go. Jesus wants your life. Give it to him. And he'd say, yeah, preacher, you're right. I need to stop drinking. I said, I never said that, dude. It didn't matter. That, all that stuff doesn't matter. What you need to do is today say, Jesus, I know I've hosed this life up. I know I've messed it up, but what I've got you can have. Yep, preacher, I know I need to go to church. No, that's not what I'm saying. It ain't about going to church. When you get saved, you're certainly going to want to go to church because you're going to want to be around other Christians. But the first thing is giving Jesus your life. He never could understand that. Guys, if you have a hard time understanding that, or ladies and gentlemen, if you want anybody to explain that to you, as we come to a time of invitation, this altar is open. If you want to give your life to Jesus, this altar is here. And as we saw in our story about Saul, the thing that I did a really poor job of last week trying to explain is the only way we can be successful in our Christian walk, the only way that we can do what we're supposed to do is being dependent on God. We can't do it on our own. You can't win the battle on your own. Who gives you courage? Who gives you hope? Who gives you power? So if we don't have any of that stuff, are we any good? Can we do anything? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. (laughs) You are definitely good at some stuff. (laughs) Father God, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who's lost in this room, that they would give us an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who's a Christian and they're not being dependent, they're not leaning on Jesus for what they have to do, God, I pray that they would come down to this altar and confess that is sin. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that's looking for a church home, Lord, I pray if you're calling them here, they would have the courage to walk down this aisle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.